Otherwise, <laughs> um, hey, I'm Chris, and uh, if you've been with us, I guess starting last week, we started this, this sermon series brief. We're going through the, short, the shortest books of the New Testament, so I'm not sure I'm going to name them all, but 2 John, 3 John, Jude, Philemon. Maybe, maybe one or two others, but that's, that's it. But we started 2 John last week, and so the scripture that you'd heard read was uh, all of 2 John up to what I'm going to be talking about. Um, and Dan preached last week on uh, verses 1 through 3. It was an awesome message. It's on SoundCloud if you want to go listen to it here. Uh, it's, on, it's on SoundCloud, um, and it was about the Christian experience of truth moving from the head, the mind, to the heart. And he said, just as the heart is responsible for getting blood to every cell of the body, um, so when truth comes into the Christian's heart, it transforms every cell of our, everything that we do, everything we think, everything we want. It's an amazing message. Um, like I said, on SoundCloud. And so that, that was last week. This week, we're looking primarily at verses, well, really exclusively at verses 4 through 6. Um, and the, the core message of the text is John reminding this uh, dear lady, either a church or a, an individual, uh, that Christians are supposed to love one another. This is going to be a message all about loving one another. Um, and actually, I know we've prayed, but I want to invite us just to pray together as an expression of our um, communal love for one another. So yeah, bow your heads with me and let's pray one more time. And if you would actually pray for the person on your right or your left. Um, yeah, pray that, that God would give them peace in this moment, freedom from distractions, and that God would speak a special word to their heart this morning. Pray that the people sitting next to you would know God's love in a new way. Would you also just pray for yourself? Pray that God would meet you in the, in the stillness this morning and speak to you in whatever way you need to hear his voice. And Lord, I, I pray that you'd help me speak. Lord, I pray that you'd protect me from saying false things, um, guide me into truth, and teach us, Lord. Help us this morning to know your love better and to love one another better as a result. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so 2 John, verses 4 through 6. I'm going to read it again. John's writing to the, the elect lady. He says, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning, I ask you that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. It's kind of simple. I know it's like convoluted language, but John is just saying, let's love one another just as we've been told from the beginning. So the question we're going to be looking at is, what, what is love? What is John commanding? He says, love one another. What does he mean? What is love? And I have three points for us. That love is a commandment. Actually, he says it's the commandment. Love is the commandment. And then love is costly. And we're going to see that love is also Christ. It's the commandment, it's costly, and it's Christ. The first point is that it's, it's the commandment. John reiterates twice. He says it's, it's not a new commandment. It's not novel. It's not innovative. But it's from the beginning. See, he says, I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning. Unique to Christianity is the belief that God existed from all of eternity as a community. Three in one. So, what existed from the beginning was three persons in perfect unity. And one of the reasons that's important is it means that God didn't need to create anything in order for, to discover his love or to become loving. God was loving in and of himself before creation existed. 
in perfect unity, three persons. And then in an explosion of his, of his love and grace, he expanded the horizons of his love to include all of creation. And all of creation exists to understand and to participate in the, the very personification of love, which is the triune God. And so, yeah, his love and our capacity for relationship with him is the central theme of Revelation. It's the central theme of the scriptures from the beginning. John says, this is the commandment we've had from the beginning. It's not new. So there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And in Jesus' time, there was a debate among the scribes. Which was the most important? What's the most important commandment? You may remember the story in Mark 12 when they come to him and they ask him. They've been disputing amongst themselves. They want to catch Jesus. They want to create division. And they say, Jesus, which is the most important commandment? And we know that we know from, or I know from commentaries, that the, the debate centered on kind of three things. Some people said that the Sabbath commandment was the most important commandment. Others said that it was the sacrifices. Or others said it was the law of circumcision, the commandment to circumcision. So they're arguing, which is the most important commandment? And Jesus says in Mark 12, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Do you see the centrality of this singular commandment, the commandment? It's like a swelling wave that's been building from all of creation as God sprayed out creation from himself. Been swelling and it it sort of crests in Jesus. And now we find ourselves, after Jesus has been crucified and has ascended, caught up in the flow of this wave, and it's the same thing. It's the same wave. We are to love. We are to live in line with the commandment that God has given from all eternity that, that defines God, God's character in itself. We can't escape this commandment. It's the essential thing. That's why John says in 1 John, the letter just before this, we cannot love God if we don't love our brothers and sisters. We cannot It's a contradiction. He says, if we love God, we will keep this commandment. So the character, the aroma of our gathering has to be, must be love. An essential thing about when Christians get together is love. This is the most essential and important commandment from the lips of Jesus. Love the Lord and love one another. It's the commandment. So I was looking into modern psychology on love. And did you know that love is an essential ingredient in human life? Like food, or water, like it's a necessity. Early data on orphanages from the 20th century in, in the UK and in the US shows that they, there were children who had food and medical care and supervision, they're being kept healthy, but they didn't have love. And some of the death rates in these places were over 100%. Kids were dying, like, and they, they couldn't figure out why. And now we're looking back at the data and says, well, no one was hugging them. No one was talking to them. No one was giving them care and love. Lack of love can literally be fatal. It's an essential ingredient. We need it to survive. And on the flip side, modern psychology shows that the number one determinant in long-term human happiness is love, is meaningful, committed relationships of love. So just to summarize those two points, love is an essential ingredient in our survival, like food or water. It's a basic necessity. And love is the necessary ingredient, the most important ingredient in human happiness. Love is the element in our lives that is best for us, that most directly, most significantly contributes to our long-term flourishing. You see what I'm saying? Take a moment to let this sink in. The sovereign of the universe, who anything he says commands our attention and obedience, right? He He can demand anything he wants. And what does he command? 
love. Precisely the thing that we most need. Precisely this necessity of our life, the thing that we need most, the thing that, this, that most significantly communicates or contributes to our satisfaction long-term. He says, love our neighbors. Serve one another in genuine compassion. This is why John can say in the, in the letter, previous letter in 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. No, they're not burdensome. It's a joyful thing to walk in his commandments. God's commandments are exactly the key to human life and flourishing. Obedience to Jesus and fellowship with him will lead directly to our happiness and ultimate fulfillment. It's exactly what we need. God is honored by our fulfilling our truest longing. That's amazing. So in a culture of isolation and disintegration, with so many of us walking around suffering and living in loneliness, looking for love, feel like we're, we're swallowing air trying to satisfy this starving for love. Meanwhile, God has prepared a banquet for us, and he says, feast on this. He's fulfilling our ultimate longing. He provides perfect love, and his commandments are exactly what we need. So John says at the beginning of this message in, in verse 4, I rejoiced greatly to find that some of your children are walking in the truth. It is a joyful thing to walk in the commandments of God. Just as a side note, do you know that this is one of God's commandments that obviously leads to flourishing, but do you know that that's true of all of God's commandments? He only and always commands what's good for us, every time. Sometimes it's not as obvious as this, but it's always true. God always wants what's best for us. So love is the, the commandment, just because he's good. Love is the commandment. The second point is that love is costly. We're going to see the love. Is, like what, what is love? It's a commandment. It's costly, and it's Christ. The second point is that it's, it's costly. It's difficult to see this because in English, we, have, we use love so variously. Or there's not one definition of love. We only have one word to say, I love ice cream, or I love my wife, I love God, I love weekends. But I mean love in, in different ways each time that I says that, say that, right? So John actually, in verse 6, hands us a definition just for free. He says, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. Love is a walk according to Jesus' commandments. Love is walking in line with Jesus' commandments. You see that love, biblical love, has a directionality. It has a trajectory. It's saying walking towards holiness, walking towards Jesus' commandments. In other words, in math nerd words, love is a vector, not a scalar. And I'll, I'll explain, but a, a, scalar, a scalar metric is one that has magnitude but not direction, like temperature. Something's hot or cold, right? Or speed, you're, you're going fast or you're going slow. A vector is one that has magnitude and direction, uh, like force. You're not just, like, how hard are you pushing, but which direction are you pushing? Or velocity is the vector form of speed. And I'll, I'll ditch the nerdy things in just a second. But, but velocity says you're not, not just that you're going 35 miles an hour, but that you're going 35 miles an hour directly west. That there's a directionality. And so the problem, I think the trouble with sometimes is that we treat love as though it were a scalar and not a vector. Biblical love is a vector. It is, it's, a des, it's a desire. It has a magnitude. It has a strength or a weakness. Um, but it's always a desire for some vision of the good life, some, some vision of the kingdom. It's a longing toward something. And if we treat love like a scalar quantity, like temperature, as only a magnitude, we lose its meaning. Uh, love as just a scalar quantity, love with just magnitude without direction, is just a general feeling of tenderness, a general liking of something. 
Karen Swallow Pryor says, love without direction is like an empty box to fill as we please. You see, it's, it's morally neutral. It might be very big. Love might be very strong, but that's not necessarily good unless it's pointed in the right direction. It's like going fast isn't necessarily good. It depends on the direction you're going, right? Or studying very hard isn't necessarily productive if you're not studying the right thing. You can't go west by traveling north, right? So the direction of our loves matter. Love without proper direction is at best morally neutral, but it actually can be really destructive. And it can be destructive because we love things toward the wrong end. Let me illustrate. You remember the story of Michael Vick? A lot of nods, right? Michael Vick, very talented football player. Ridiculously talented. If you watch his highlights, he just embarrasses people on the field. And then his career totally unraveled because he was caught and convicted of abusing dogs, dog fighting. And when lawyers went to his prison cell and trying to get testimony from him, they're saying, what the heck? Like, and Michael Vick kept repeating, I love my dogs, man. I love my dogs. And it, he, he had names for all of them. He told stories of them affectionately. He had pictures of them in his house. But at the same time, there's evidence that he was doing terrible things to his dogs, making them fight, torturing them, not feeding them. So, how, so obviously he didn't really love his dogs, right? But how was it that he could be so genuinely deceived so as to say, I love my dogs, while he's doing horrible things? It's not love, right? He's not seeking the good of those dogs. He doesn't care for their well-being. He actually, he loved his dogs in the sense that, insofar as the dogs fulfilled his own sense of pride. He was proud of what his dogs could, could, he's proud that his dogs could beat other dogs, could make him feel superior to other people. So his love toward his dogs was actually a self-directed love, right? Treating his dogs as objects that serve his own pride, if that makes sense. You see how a misdirected love like that can be deeply destructive. A love pointed in the wrong direction. In studying for the sermon, I, I, I learned the word cupidity. Some of you may know that word, but cupidity, it's a, a word for an affection, comes from, or we, we associate it with Cupid, right? Like the Roman or Greek god of love? I don't know. Um, but we think, yeah, we think of that as being like affection, but cupidity, uh, it means a lust or avarice or greed. It's a consumptive love. Using things for your own purposes, it's a, it's a love that's self-directed. A love that looks at people and things as objects that fulfill our personal needs. Cupidity is what happens when the direction of our loves is pointed towards ourselves. And other people get swept up in the current of our self-obsession. It's a self-directed love that says, you are for me. Your life is for mine. And we start using people. So many of our loves are like this, right? Misdirected, self-directed. The issue for us is not that we don't love. We actually like, we have affection for a lot of things. We care about things. The problem is that a lot of our loves are just cupidity. They're self-serving love. Even our love for other people. Oftentimes we love our friends, our spouses, our fellow church members, our children, just the way that we like ice cream, using them for our own good. Or we love our friends the way that Michael Vick loves dogs, using them as our, for our own pride. You see, Michael Vick, he had strong feelings for his dogs, right? The magnitude of his love was real. But having a strong affection for others is not alone what John is talking about. He says love is a walk in obedience to Jesus' commands. Love is, true love is always toward others and toward goodness. It's toward the good of other people. Ultimate love is always facing away from ourselves toward others and toward Jesus. 
John says, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. Do you see why I say that that's costly? Because it's specifically not self-directed. It's directed only and always toward the good of others. It's costly because it, it flips the vector of our loves. But our natural inclination is to consume people and things. But biblical love flips that vector. It turns outward our love towards other people for the sake of finding their goodness and fulfilling their holiness, finding Jesus for them. It turns our self-centeredness outward to consider the good of other people. Henry Skugel describes biblical love like this. He says, perfect love is a kind of self-dereliction, a wandering out of ourselves. It's a kind of voluntary death wherein the lover dies to himself and all his own interests, minding nothing but how he may please and gratify the party whom he loves. Thus, in love, he is quite undone. Love is a willingness to be made undone for other people. Love undoes us for the sake of another. So it's costly. It's a costly, committed self-giving for the sake of our beloved knowing Jesus better and walking in his commands. Love is costly. And the third point is that love is Christ. Biblically, this sounds weird, but biblically, love is equated to Jesus. Love is Jesus. Jesus is love. He's the embodiment of the true reality of love. So following Jesus is walking in love. Following Jesus' example, walking like Jesus is loving. The Greek word that John uses for love here is agape, which you might know. We associate it with divine love, right? It's, it's higher than uh, familial love. It's higher than friendship. It's higher than erotic love. Early translators translating the Bible into English translate this word agape as charity, which obviously we associate with giving away our resources, it's, which is so obviously different from self-centered cupidity, right? Charity is giving away the things we have. Cupidity is saying, you are for me, right? Cupidity is saying, your life for mine. But agape love, charity love, is saying, my things for yours, my life for yours. I'm for you. The truth is, biblically, that all real love is a substitutionary sacrifice, my life for yours. So the pinnacle of love is Jesus. Not just his feelings for us, not just his affection for you, but his costly self-sacrifice for your good. There is no better example of love. He, he defines it. His love for us defines love itself. In, in John 1, first, sorry, 1 John, John says, 1 John 3.16, by this we know love. This is how we even know love. We know love that he laid, his down, he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So what is love? Love is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Just think of it, right? The king of creation, stepping off his throne to be ripped apart by sinners, to be undone for us. Even today, his resurrected body bears the scars of the wounds that we inflicted on him. As evidence for his love, of his love for us. This is the kind of love that John is commanding us to have. This costly, self-giving love for the sake of others. That is love. So what, what is love? Love is imitating Christ together. It's walking in Jesus' commandments in relation to one another. Let me tell you the story of one of the most profound experiences of love in my life, apart from my wife and the Lord. Seriously. My junior year at Amherst, I was on the InterVarsity leadership team for our fellowship, and there were about seven of us. And one of them was named, is named Jodine. She is still on staff with InterVarsity. She works with Black Campus Ministries in the area. 
And um, back then, so she, she's a Jamaican-American woman, and she grew up in the black church and uh, came to Amherst, and there weren't a lot of churches, as you can imagine, that catered to her worship experience. So she found herself as sort of a fish out of water, trying to worship God but not finding places where she could genuinely be herself and worship as she was familiar with. So not having no freedom to worship God with all that she was, is. And, um, and so she came to Amherst, and she helped us see that our fellowship really only catered to white and Asian students. And there was no space for development of leaders who were black or the development of celebration of black worship. And my junior year, honestly, I just didn't have ears to hear this. It wasn't about it. And Jodine kept telling us this is necessary. She was on our leadership team, and literally... She was planting this black campus ministry almost entirely by herself, gathering leaders and casting vision and praying for these things. And the rest of us in the room didn't care. So I grew up in a, in a pretty colorblind culture in, this, in the South, in like all white churches. And honestly, my discipleship just didn't give me a vision for multi-ethnicity or for diversity of worship that honors God. And so I had, I had no ears to hear what Jodine was saying. And I, I wanted Joe to like me, like I wanted Joe to find what she wanted, but I, I, I couldn't believe that this was part of God's plan, and so I, I couldn't make myself spend resources or time or energy in helping her do this. One of my friends who was in the room with us described this process of God breaking down diamond in our hearts. We were so set against this that I, I didn't have the capacity to love Jodine. And so Joe, like I said, week to week was building this ministry all by herself. And week to week, like literally week after week, she would come back into our leadership meetings crying and saying, you guys said you would be there at the event and you weren't. You said you, you support it. Like I, you tell me that you care and then you don't show up. And what we did was horrible. But I'm, I'm telling you that, that Joe showing up week to week and weeping in that room with us and calling us to pray for her ministry is one of the most profound examples of Jesus' love for me that I've ever experienced. Because she graciously, longingly loved me towards Jesus. And God used her tears and praying with her and seeing the stories of God's movement to, to dig ears for me to hear that this was part of God's message and to help me lean in to building this thing. And I know Jesus better as a result because of Joe's love and grace for me. And so I'm not, I'm not saying, if you're in a situation where people are like not affirming your identity and not affirming the ministry that you have or not affirming your worship style, I'm not saying necessarily that you have to stick it out and continue to like lean in to people who won't listen to you. I'm just telling you that it is one of the most profound examples I've ever experienced of Jesus' love because I know him better because of her, because she loved me like Jesus and she loved me toward Jesus. And I've gotten to experience and celebrate a diversity of worship styles in large part because God softened my heart through her words and gave me a vision of a multi-ethnic kingdom, the multi-ethnic kingdom that, that Jesus is building. See, I know Jesus better because she loved me like Jesus. And I love Jesus more because she loved me like Jesus. We're commanded to love one another like this, like Jesus did, tearfully, giving his heart, giving his very flesh and blood. So what is love? Love is a, is a commandment to imitate Jesus by laying down our lives for the ultimate good of others that they would know God. As a really brief side note, if, if your story is like mine, you came from a, a colorblind church or like ethnic identity, racial conversations, not a part of your discipleship, we're offering, Mercy House is offering, I'm not, the Moors are, offering a, a class this summer to go through that stuff, to study what it looks like 
to have a vision for God's multi-ethnic kingdom. And if, that's, if your story is like mine, I think that would be hugely beneficial for you. So I want to plug that quickly. Didn't know that was happening when I wrote this, but I saw the sign. That's pretty awesome. So what is love? It's, it's, a, it's a commandment to costly self-giving for the, for the sake of the holiness, for the sake of the good of another. And it looks like being undone for other people. I think I'm just going to dive into two, two ways that this affects us. What, the corporate implications and the personal implications of this. This framework, this command from, from John to love one another. What are the corporate implications? A mentor of mine, Angela, Angela Nzegu, who many of you know, says to me all the time, sometimes through gritted teeth, Christian community is not polite company. It's not a general, general vague tenderness. I think this is what John is getting at. We are to be deeply, even painfully, committed to the good of each other, our mutual good, and to the good of God's world. John is calling us into an others-facing orientation of costly compassion, a willingness to be undone for one another. It's not just polite company. A willingness to bear one another's burdens and joys, to push one another towards faithfulness and holiness. See, this, this charge from John actually collapses some of the, the divide that we usually have between personal obedience, personal holiness, and, and corporate um, holiness. Because he says that Corporate love, building a community of love is a matter of personal obedience. But it's not a matter of private obedience. It affects the way that we we live together. We can't merely be consumers, right, or critics of our church community. We're called to be devoted to the holiness of one another in costly ways. And we can't merely be concerned with our personal holiness as though it existed in a vacuum, in isolation from the political and cultural and social realities of our world. This charge abolishes the distinction between personal holiness and corporate unity. John is saying that common love is a matter of our personal holiness. So yeah, this looks like listening to one another well. And it does look like hospitality, inviting each other over for meals, having each other into our homes, driving each other to the airport, helping each other move. Those Those are like acts of love, but it also means specifically loving one another toward holiness. It means calling out sin in each other. It means that as a member of a church, when you join this community, you're committing to be called out. You're committing to be told, I see this in you, and I think Jesus has something better for you. It means we need to devotedly ask each other, what is God doing in you? And how can I help? How can I help you lean into this? Think about charity, right? Giving away our resources. What if we actually prayed for one another? How often, how often do you spend time to pray for the other members of this community? It would be an amazing example of giving over a valuable resource for one another. So we are to be a community of Christ-like love. It has massive corporate implications. And I love that there's kind of an awkward transparency about this. Because we're all in the room right now. And John says that we have to love each other like this. So there's a really awkward transparency. We all know that this is what we're called to. And we can all hold each other accountable to this kind of love. And if people, aren't loving, if people aren't loving you well, you can genuinely, referring to the scripture, say, you need to love me better. As long as you're also examining yourself and saying, I need to love them better, right? So it has massive corporate implications. It also has personal implications. You and I need love. We're desperate for it. We die without it. There's no substitute for it. And in a world of cupidity, right, consumptive love, our God says, my life for yours. Our God has given, him, given us himself. Right? This is what we celebrate at communion. Right? Jesus said, this is my body and it's going to be broken for you. 
I'm going to be made, I'm going to be undone for you. So I want to tell you, while, while much of society wants to use you, God has given himself over for you, right? If, if you're wandering around, stumbling around, swallowing air, trying to satisfy this need of love, know that Jesus has said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. He's been made undone for you. He's been broken for you so that you could be brought in. I want to tell you, if you don't know him, Jesus is the embodiment of love. In Christ, you have the opportunity to look love in the face. I want to invite you to do that. You could do that today, to surrender to Jesus' love and to start a relationship with him. He's love itself. God can satisfy you with his love. And actually, if, even if you do know Jesus, I want to tell you this morning that Jesus loves you. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, you are a real ingredient in the divine happiness. In Christ, God is pleased with you. He smiles on you. He loves you. He wants you. He wants us. Jesus calls us to love like he does. You know that hymn, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood? I love this verse. He says, ever since I saw, ever since by faith I saw the stream thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. There's a sense in which, like, when, when we've received the love of God to overflowing, it's like our cup runneth over, as it were, right? We're so, so filled with the love of God that we're then sent to pour it out into the community. We no longer have to use people to fill this, this need of love, but we've, we've been so filled with Jesus' love that now anything is extra, and we're free to give over in charity our love to other people. We can love like Jesus, only when we've been loved by Jesus. We are commanded to love like Jesus, which means that you and I are commanded to live like people ready to be crucified for the world, ready to be given over to the world, happy to spend and be spent for the good of our brothers and sisters and for the good of Jesus' world. Not because we are saviors, but because Jesus saves, and we want to be, we long to be identified with his cause of compassion. John says, I entreat you, I ask you, let us love one another by being obedient to Jesus. Let's follow Jesus together. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for your costly compassion for us, your unending love for us, your provision for us, that, that we could live, Lord. We would die without your love. So Lord, we thank you for your love. We pray that you would help us to love one another. Lord, help us to have your heart towards one another, to consider one another more important than ourselves and to pour ourselves out. We love you, Lord, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to take communion.